All right, if you take your Bibles and turn to Numbers chapter 6, Numbers chapter 6, part of this message is somewhat of a review from last Sunday night, uh, which some of you missed anyway, so uh, we'll just uh, pick it up and uh, uh, do a little review and then uh, go a little farther uh, in our uh, study here of the book of Numbers. We're looking at separation and blessing. Last time we were talking about a promise and keeping a promise, we said that Numbers chapter 6 is an important chapter in uh, Scripture that gives its focus, its clarification, its understanding about the stories and characters, other stories and characters of the Bible. Uh, First of all, it it explains what is known as the Nazarite vow. As we uh, began to study this particular portion of Scripture, we noted that it would challenge us, even as Christians, about the importance of keeping a vow or a promise, as well as the principle of separation. Now, uh, if you remember, uh, there is a difference between a Nazarite and a Nazarene. Uh, Jesus was called a Nazarene because he uh, came uh, from Nazareth, a city despised of people Uh, the people of Judea. Uh, The word Nazarite uh, means uh, to set apart, uh, to dedicate. Uh, Jesus was not a Nazarite uh, because he he did touch dead bodies and he drank the fruit of the vine, both of which were forbidden for those that took this uh, vow. Now, last week we had a, a bonus coverage. I'll give you that bonus again this morning. Uh, because I think it's important to realize that I don't believe Jesus had long hair. Uh, and a lot of times we see him pictured like this uh, in uh, uh, even Sunday school materials and, uh, and paintings and so forth, but Jesus did not have long hair. He was not a Nazarite. Uh, he was uh, a Nazarene. He could not live contrary to Scripture. Uh, it was common to have short hair at that time, and Christ was a priest, and priests wore their hair short. So that's the bonus coverage. We'll just review that again. But uh, again, we noted here that the Bible reminds us that we're to be a peculiar people. Uh, we're not just to blend in with the rest of the world. Uh, but rather we're to separate ourselves from the world and not live like the world. That doesn't mean we're peculiar just necessarily in the way we dress. You know, some uh, religions, uh, uh, they become peculiar in the way they dress. And that seems to be their whole focus. Uh, it doesn't matter what they live like or what they're, what's going on inside their heart, as long as they look like they're different from the world on the outside. But it's more than that. Uh, we're reminded that we're God's children. We're ambassadors of Christ. We need to remember that peculiar doesn't mean weird, uh, doesn't mean strange, even though we are strangers and pilgrims in this world. Our citizenship uh, is in heaven, and we're to conduct ourselves as such. So consecrating uh, themselves to the Lord involves separation and self-denial. It involved being separated unto the Lord and from the things that would hurt, could hurt them. Now, again, quickly reviewing what we learned about the Nazarite vow. Uh, Nazarite separation was obvious to all, and it involves several characteristics. I've listed them again here for you. Uh, Not using products of the vine. Those taking the Nazarite vow were to have nothing to do with the products of the vine. 
that meant not uh, just the uh, just uh, uh, the juice, but also the grapes and so forth. Anything that had to do with the vine. Uh, they were not to cut the hair. The hair of the Nazarite was an outward symbol of consecration. The uncut hair was uh, offensive in appearance. Long hair on men was considered an act of humiliation, of dishonor and shame and approach, uh, reproach. Um, and uh, also, if someone says, well, that's why, you know, I, the Nazarites could do it, so I can do it. Well, if you want to do it like the Nazarites do it, then do the whole thing, okay? Uh, don't touch the fruit of the vine, don't cut your hair, and don't touch dead bodies. We said, well, that's no problem with me. Uh, uh, but touching any dead body, that was the lesson here that... Uh, the Nazarite vow has a concentration of one's uh, consecration of one's appetites. That's the vine uh, appearance. That's the hair, the actions and attitudes. That's the body to the Lord. So God is concerned about where we go, what we do. He wants all areas of our lives. And the principle that this vow teaches us today is if Christians are to be consecrated to the Lord, then they should deny themselves and be separated unto the Lord. And listen, we're not to be living like the heathen uh, of this world. And then we also looked at the, uh, excuse me, there's the lessons of the Nazarite vow. Uh, we also looked at the Bible principles of self-denial. What does the Bible teach about this subject of self-denial? D- dying to self. Well, we talked about the condition of discipleship. Uh, Your stability and your faithfulness will only be as strong as your commitment, your devotion, and your love for him. Uh, If a person is going to be a true disciple, uh, he's going to have to be one who is dependable and steadfast through thick or thin. He's going to have to get a proper perspective about things that he tends to focus on. Uh, Then there's the conquering of selfish desires. We looked at two important thoughts along this line, and I want you to listen to them again carefully. Number one, your biggest enemy, your biggest hindrance or obstacle can be yourself. Uh, The tug of war that takes place between your self-will and God's will will be in your hearts almost unceasingly. I don't think you can almost get up any day of your life and not have that going on. We always have that going on. We're in a battle. And we have this this tug of war that takes place between my will and God's will on a daily basis. And then the other thing that we need to be uh, aware of here is that taking up the cross of Christ does not mean that you have to have burdens or problems. Uh, some people say, well, I just go, that's going to be my cross I'm going to have to bear. I have a burden. I have a problem. It doesn't have to be a burden or a problem to take up the cross of Christ. And so we need to conquer the selfish desires. Uh, we need to count all but loss for Christ. Philippians 3.8, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of the Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Jesus, uh, win Christ. The things of this life must be considered worthless, good for nothing compared to Jesus Christ. And then... Fourthly, that no conditions for fleshly fulfillment. I think some Christians make the same mistake of going out of bounds when it comes to temptation and they feel they're invincible and nothing can hurt them. This is the right where Satan wants us. If we are tempted to do what's wrong and we say, well, I can handle it. I'm invincible. Nothing can hurt me. 
But controlling your thought life is as important an ingredient as controlling yourself. Uh, then also crucifying the flesh. Colossians 3.5 says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. That word mortify there means put to death or rob of its power. We're to consider ourselves dead to immorality. Uh, the impurity of lustful living, the vile passions, uh, the evil cravings for which uh, is forbidden and greed. And so we're to crucify the flesh. Uh, then also casting off the fleshly desires, Ephesians 4.22, that you put off concerning former conversation, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Our flesh or our carnal desires struggle to stay in control of our lives. When we yield to the Holy Spirit, he enables us uh, to dominate our flesh. And our problem is in the yielding of the Spirit's control. And then, of course, there's conformity to Christ. Romans 12, 1 and 2, uh, which speaks of uh, presenting our bodies a living sacrifice, not being conformed to this world, but being transformed so that we can do and know and prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And then credit the Lord with glory and honor. 1 Corinthians 1, uh, verse 29 says that no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. It's when we forget ourselves that we do things that are remembered. This is what the Lord did for us. Now, that's kind of uh, where we were uh, at, to a certain point last week, but we went on from there, and we talked about the biblical principles of separation. And I want to review those uh, for a moment this morning uh, as well. Biblical principles of separation. Uh, the Nazarite vow taught the importance of self-denial. And the key principle is taught here that is, that, that is the importance of separation to the Lord. Now, I know some Christians will cringe at the mention of world, the word separation. And yet, we practice separation all the time in our lives. I mentioned this last Sunday night. Uh, when you put a certain memento, a memento on, the, on the shelf in your home, uh, you separate it from something else because it's important to you. It may be a, a baseball that you caught at a baseball game. Uh, it may be something special because of the game or a memory because the person uh, who went with you to that ball game. Uh, but uh, when you eat, most of us don't uh, uh, blend our foods together on the plate. We kind of separate things. We practice separation a lot, unless you're eating casserole. But uh, why, do you, why do you? some people park their cars uh, away from others in the parking lot? It's because their car is special. Uh, why do you have some pictures that are hanging on a wall? Because they're special. You just don't throw them in the, in the, on the, dra in the drawer because, uh, but you put the ones on the wall that are special to you. So we, we separate our, uh, many things in our lives, but we're to, as Christians, separate ourselves unto the Lord because He is special and He, and we are special to Him. Uh, he's demonstrating that specialness uh, of the Lord in our lives if we are separating ourselves unto him. 
And the Bible gives us those principles uh, of the topic of separation that we can apply to our lives. Let's go over them again. Again, we do not have time to develop them fully, but separation from the Lord. Romans chapter 8, verse 39, uh, 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor power, nor things to present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord." The essence of this scripture is that there's nothing that can separate us from God's love for us. Hebrews 13 verse 5 says, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he said, he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I believe the Bible makes it very clear that we are secure in Jesus Christ. He's always with us no matter what our situation We can never be separated from the Lord. Secondly, there's separation from the lost. And because of our love for the Lord, unbelievers may shun us. They may even persecute us. God says, rejoice. Luke 6, 22 and 23 says, Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast out your name as evil. For the Son of Man's sake, rejoice ye in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for in the lake, or for in the, in like manner did the fathers under the prophets. You know, uh, someone, uh, uh, you know, someone uh, gives you a hard time for being a Christian, uh, maybe not in their presence, but you might want to just, you know, uh, leap with joy. Yes! That's what the Bible says. Rejoice in that day. Leap for joy when people reproach you, when people persecute you. And so the lost will be separated from the righteous for the purpose of eternal judgment. Uh, we think, well, that's, that's kind of, would be kind of silly to jump up and down because someone didn't like me. I'm not telling you this. The Bible is telling us that. Matthew 13, 49 says, So it shall be to the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just. Matthew 25, 32, And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. 2 Thessalonians 1, 8, 9, In flaming fire take vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished from the everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Now, I'm not saying that we are to rejoice when our loved ones reject Christ. Our hearts break when people reject the Lord. Because of these verses of Scripture. Because we know what's going to take place in their, in their eternity, in their lives, if they don't trust Christ. 
There is coming a day when we're going to be separated from the wickedness of this world. Christ is returning to this earth someday. And first, he's going to take his own out of this world. And then he's going to come. His coming will be in a terror to the wicked. We say, well, that's the wicked. That's not my, not my aunt or my uncle or my cousin. They're not wicked. They're pretty good people. No. If they don't know the Christ is their, their savior, they're going to be among the wicked. Someone that does not know God, does not obey uh, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's not popular to think that way or to talk about those kind of things. But when Jesus came to this earth, he came to redeem us. He didn't come to give us new personalities and to make us successful. He came us to deliver, came to deliver us from hell. And that's not what people want to hear today. They want to hear that if you follow Christ, then you'll be rich and successful. That's what they want to hear. But when Jesus said to John, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. The word perish means hell. means judgment. Judgment is coming. Now, if you want to stay in that class, you'll be judged. There's separation from the lost. Then there's separation from the lustful. God is concerned about with whom we spend our time. We're not to follow a corrupt crowd. Exodus 23 verse 2 says, Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. Neither shalt thou speak in a, a cause to decline after many to rest judgment. Proverbs 24, verse 1 says, Be not envious against evil men, neither desire to be with them. The word desire there is from a Hebrew word, ava, which means to covet or wait longingly, to sigh or be greedy. You're not to wait longingly or be greedy about being with them. Don't try to be like the world. Proverbs 28, verse 7 says, Who keepeth the law is a wise son, but he that is a companion of riotous men shameth his father. Riotous means worthless or vile. We dishonor our parents when we follow the ungodly. The word shameth is a Hebrew word which means to insult or humiliate, to put to confusion, to reproach. We're to not follow a corrupt crowd. Secondly, we're to not follow the course of the wicked. Proverbs 4, 14 and 15. Enter not into the path of the wicked and go not in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Pass not by it. Turn from it. Pass away. Stay away from the sin pits. The wild parties, the taverns, the dance clubs, the casinos. They're magnets for problems. Ephesians 5.11, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Now, why should we not run with the wrong crowd? Three reasons. Number one, it corrupts good character. 1 Corinthians 15.33, be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. The word manners there is from the word which means character or morals. When we run with the wrong crowd, it affects our character, our reputation. 
It hinders our effectiveness for Christ. Matthew 5, 13, ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. And then thirdly, it destroys love for Christ and courage to stand for him. It can even lead to denying him. We read about John chapter, uh, in John chapter 18, said, Then saith the damsel that kept the door unto Peter, Art thou, art not thou also one of this man's disciples? He saith, I am not. Simon Peter stood and warmed himself, and he said unto them, Therefore unto them, Art not thou also one of his disciples? Again, he denied it. He said, I am not. So don't run with the wrong crowd. It'll corrupt your good character. It'll, it'll affect you, uh, hinder your effectiveness for Christ. It'll destroy your love for Christ. Thirdly, we are to make no contacts or contracts with the wicked. Christians are not to date, to marry, make business partnerships. You say, well, I have to do business with unsaved people all the time. I'm saying don't make a partnership with them. I think that's what the Bible is talking about. Certainly we have to do business sometimes with them, but we don't need to be in partnership with them. The Bible's clear about that. 2 Corinthians 6, 14-17 says, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And then we're not to follow the counsel of the ungodly. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. God promises blessing to those who do not follow an ungodly counsel. And more lives are messed up by ungodly, worldly, carnal counselors and psychiatrists and friends at work or family members than any other thing I can think of. We're not to follow a corrupt crowd. We're not to follow the course of this world. We're not to make contracts with the unsaved. We're not to follow the counsel of the ungodly. That's separation from the lustful. And then we're to separate from long tongues. Say, why do you use long tongues? Because it starts with an L, right? means gossipers. Proverbs 16, 28, a froward man soweth strife, and a whisperer separateth chief friends. Gossipers separate good friends. Proverbs 17, 9, he that covereth a transgression seeketh love, but he that repeateth a matter repeateth or separateth very friends. And then separation from livid people, that's angry people. Proverbs twenty two twenty four. Make no friendship with an angry man, with a furious man thou shalt not go. Romans sixteen seventeen. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them that cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. Second Thessalonians three fourteen. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him, that, that he may be ashamed. You know that anger and bitterness can be like poison. To you and your family. Hebrews twelve fifteen. Looking diligently, yes, lest any man fail the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. And your bitterness, mom and dad, can affect your children as well. Psalm one nineteen, verse sixty three. Begins, or we're talking about who we are to run with. 
If there are those who are not to run with, there are those we are to run with. In Psalm 119.63, I'm a companion of all them that fear thee and of them that keep thy precepts. In Proverbs 2.20, that thou mayst walk in the way of good men and keep the paths of the righteous. And Proverbs 13.20, he that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. And then there's separation from of the Lord. Separation of the Lord. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26 and 27. For such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. Christ was man and was God. He was sinless and separate from sinners. And for this reason, he could be our sacrifice for our sins and our substitute. One more thing that we find here in this chapter of Numbers chapter 6, and that is the prayer of blessing. That should be Roman number 4. Roman number 4 is the prayer of blessing. Look at verse... uh, 24 and 27 through 27. Numbers chapter 6. So go back to verse 22. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and to his sons, saying, On this wise ye shall bless the uh, the children of Israel, saying unto them, The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. And they shall put my name upon the children of Israel, and I will bless them. We come to these final verses. We see a beautiful prayer here that's very rich in truth. Moody said, it is the speech of God. Every letter may conclude with it. Every day may begin with it. Every night may be sanctified by it. But it's a prayer that pictures the Trinity. The work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It addresses three important areas for the believer. Notice them with me. First of all, there's God's provision and protection. Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Everything we have today is because of the Lord. You know, we just uh, celebrated Thanksgiving. Wednesday night we had uh, praise and pie. We had some great testimonies of praise and we had some great pie as well. But uh, I'm sure on Thursday many of you had a great meal, a great fellowship with family and friends. But everything we have, we have because of the Lord. Our abilities, our talents, our opportunities... A measure of prosperity, our successes, our promotions are from the Lord. Lamentations 3.22 says, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in Him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for Him, to the soul that seeketh Him. You know, when you honor God with that, 
which belongs already to him, he's going to pour his blessings upon you. And I'm not preaching health and wealth, prosperity gospel here. I'm preaching God's word. When you put the Lord first in your life, he's going to bless you. Now, it may not be with a big paycheck. It may not be with a mansion. But there are going to be blessings in your life from God. When you read and you obey God's word, you're going to be blessed. I hope you're also going to be convicted of the sin that may be in your life. But if you are convicted of the sin and you get that sin taken care of, the blessing is going to result. When you seek forgiveness for your sins, you're going to be blessed. And even when you're chastened by the Lord, disciplined, the end result is going to be blessing. God blesses and keeps us. Uh, the word uh, keep in the Hebrew language is from the word shamar, which means to hedge about with thorns, to guard, to protect. God's going to care for us. He's going to watch over us and care for us. And his care for us is going to be constant. It's going to be considerate. It's going to be conscious of your need. And it's, 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 a, it's a reason, it's a cause to love him. God blesses and keeps us. His blessings are constant, considerate, conscious of our need, and a cause to love him. And so we not only have God's provision and protection, we have God's pardon. Notice verse 25. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. Uh, the Son of God has a, was a channel of blessing. Man was able to put his face upon God in the person of Jesus Christ. He was God in the flesh who bestowed his grace upon us. Ephesians 1.7 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And then there's going to be God's peace. Again, verse 26, The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. The indwelling work of the Holy Spirit gives peace to the believer and affects the countenance of the believer. You can tell by looking at somebody uh, if they're right with the Lord sometimes. You can tell if they're not right with the Lord as well. Their countenance doth witness against them. Often, Found that to be true in dealing with young people in, in school. Did you do your homework? You know, faces would fall. Their countenance did witness against them. But the indwelling work of the Spirit can give peace. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, Gentleness, goodness, faith, so forth. Psalm 29, 11 says, The Lord will give strength unto his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Psalm 119, 165, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Love the word of God, and he'll give you peace. 
Isaiah 26 and verse 3, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Peace comes from focusing upon the Lord. Is there turmoil, chaos, uh, uh, discouragement in your life? Are you not at peace? Well, here's the key. Get things right with God. Let the Holy Spirit control you. Let the Lord give you the strength that he, need, that he can, and his word will give you peace. Trust the Lord. When you're at peace, it'll show on your face. When you're not right with God, it also will show. And then there's God's possessions. It is of his people. Again, look at verse 27. And they shall put my name upon the children of Israel, and I will bless them. Why do you put your name on something? You know, some of young people might put your name on, on, in your textbooks, or you might put it on your backpack, or you might put it on, on something. You put your name on it, right? Because it's yours. You want it to be identified with you. Several reasons why we do that. We do it for identification, but we also do it for ownership. Well, we belong to the Lord, and we're to be identified with Him. Uh, 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20, our bodies are called the temple of God. 2 Corinthians five twenty, we're called ambassadors of Christ, or for Christ. Acts 11 and verse 26 Acts eleven twenty six. the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. You see, those are reasons why, uh, those are, are names that identify who we are and who, uh, who owns us. We belong to the Lord. We're to be identified with Him. You see, the name of the Lord represents His person and His character. We read in the Bible that He is eternal. Uh, He is to be exalted. He is our emancipator. That is our Savior. He has set us free. And He's our encourager. His name is a name of effectiveness and authority. Wow, we have so many blessings given to us, do we not? Many blessings. Let's not take them for granted. Let me just close by saying that as believers... We're to deny ourselves and separate ourselves from the world. Now, we may not take the Nazarite vow, but it's to teach us that there are some, there are some principles of self-denial and separation that are taught here in this Old Testament book that apply to us today. As we make a vow, we make a pledge to the Lord. We say, Lord, I promise I'm going to live for you. Maybe you've come to the uh, front and you've uh, prayed uh, and made that promise at one time in your life. Are you keeping that promise? If we make a vow, we make a pledge to the Lord, we're going to see wonderful blessings in our lives. Uh, What a wonderful thing to know and appreciate the blessing of God. So the question is, do you know him this morning? Are you his child? Have you trusted him as your personal savior? If not, today would be a good day to do it. And Christian, are you living for him? Are you living a godly, separated life? Or are you filled with this world and you have very little room for God in your life? You see, this Old Testament chapter of, in Numbers 
about a Nazarite vow and about some things here that uh, some some offerings that are made and so forth can be a, a challenge to us even as New Testament Christians today. And I trust it has been. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for